politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard our life, our liberty, and our property here in what was formerly the United States of America, not in Ukraine. Those of you looking for true independent conservative talk, but not just talk, strategy, foresight. This is your place. Welcome back to CR Podcast. Um, It is, what is it? It's Tuesday, March 22nd. This was the date in 1765 that King George imposed the Stamp Act that really catalyzed the American Revolution. This was in 1765, and within less than a decade, they were already at war over nothing but attacks because our founders understood that you have to nip the shoots of arbitrary power in the bud. Back then, they knew more than we know today. Today, we know so much that we know so little. We're so inundated every day with a thousand days worth of news of yesteryear truncated into one day that they're able to basically make our brains go to mush in a way that we're totally distracted from what matters, that we can't even see what's in front of us. King George imposed some taxes, yet our government engaged in bioterrorism. We literally have people collapsing in front of us. We have the biggest tennis player, Rafa Nadal, having chest pain, and it just it goes over everyone's head. It doesn't matter. They get away with it. I have two big articles this week, one on the military, one on original antigenic sin. We discussed a little bit yesterday. It's out today with the UK data. It's insane what is going on, making the virus work. Worse, vaccinating into a pandemic. They're still doing it, still requiring it, still destroying lives. And now we have destroyed immune systems. Every adverse event under the sun. And yet, who is standing for us? I am not content with doing the same thing, with pursuing the same failed strategies. And that's why we're going to talk about You know, it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all strategy in each state. Maybe we'll do something different. We're going to have a guest on a little bit later today from New Hampshire, uh, a legislator to discuss what the liberty movement has succeeded in and how they've succeeded in New Hampshire. So maybe some states you could do it within the Republican Party, but for the most part, in the long run, by us tethering our movement to that party, an antiquated conservative movement, we're going to permanently neuter any ability to be effective. I'd rather be united with a smaller, righteous movement with a fighting chance that maybe someday we can grow to something you know, much bigger in the long run than have it completely adulterated and worse compromised by the enemy within, rendering it impotent and then eventually counterproductive forever. I'm not going to do that forever. And that's why we're going to continue talking about this strategy of giving us an option, not just in a Republican primary, but in the general election, running as an independent. Because we don't have a party that gives a darn about us. A shocking amount of people just dropping dead from something the government is still promoting and pushing and mandating. And it's not even on the radar. I can't move off of that issue. 
Now, one way to form these cells, independent constitutional cells at a local level, is to join Patriot Academy's Constitution Coach Program. You can go to patriotacademy.com to sign up to be a Constitution Coach. You can get Patriots together in a room, a hall, your own home, and study together the materials from Rick Green, historian David Barton. And then also, Patriot Academy is going to continue their defensive handgun training programs that we've done together. Those of you who want to meet me, who want to meet members of this audience, uh, the details look like they're still not up yet, but they will be at constitutioncoach.com. Save the date, May 22nd, five-day handgun defensive training course in Raton, New Mexico at the NRA facility there. Um, Beautiful place. And uh, we're really going to teach everyone all the same things we learned out in Nevada. It's just a new venue. So for those of you who haven't been able to make it for the courses we put on last year, um, again, I'll be proud to partner with Patriot Academy once again. So go to constitutioncoach.com and patriotacademy.com. Check it out. Okay. So, you know, I I just want to get this out of the way. I don't care about the Judge Jackson SCOTUS confirmation hearings. This is the first time ever I'm not even paying attention to it. I don't even know what happened. It literally doesn't make a difference, okay? They're replacing one leftist with another, so it's a leftist seat. What matters are the allegedly Republican appointees that are screwing us. That's what matters. But the one point I do want to make about her is that the beauty of the Democrats is If you're a liberal activist, you don't have to sit and worry with butterflies. Who is she? What is she going to do? You know she's going to be a vote for your cause every single time. Obviously, she is. I warned from day one. She is someone who literally doesn't believe in prison, um, except for people like you and me, of course. Uh, she, She believes in reducing sentencing for child molesters. So... She is someone that's going to be a certain vote for them. And it's not in doubt. And not a single Democrat, including the phony mansion and cinema, all these clowns will vote against her. They all will rally behind her. So it's a fait accompli. But what is interesting is that you have Senator Tom Tillis from North Carolina, allegedly Republican, praising her. You even have a few Republicans still praising her. So they could sit and nominate their most openly leftist person around, and Republicans will still praise them. But that's the thing. They know what they're getting. They always knew. To us, it was a lie. The reason it was a lie is because the judges weren't fake. If you think about it, the Republican judges weren't like misfires or mistakes. They were reflections of the Republican politicians nominating them. Okay, the Republican judges are no different than the Republican politicians. So just like you'll have, you know, three out of a hundred good Republican politicians, you'll have three out of a hundred good Republican judges. It's because we're continuing the same failed strategies. But here we are with endless, endless vaccine injury. Every day, the studies that come out, the data that comes out, the Pediatric practice we used to send our kids to, but we left. There's a pop-up on their website now asking people to fill out a form 
to medically clear their children if they want to engage in some sort of, you know, athletic program for the year. If they're post-COVID. So they now admit that the cardio inflammation issues, all the cardio disorders are too big to ignore. They're so ubiquitous. And as we predicted, they're blaming it on COVID. And that's what they're going to do. We could have the biggest story of, of a lifetime since the creation of the world. That's really what this is. 11 billion doses. They poisoned the planet. It's not even like, hey, one day this might be a problem. It's out in the open. But people only know what they're told to know. And yet you look at one state legislator after another. It is nearly impossible to find any progress. It's like the last two years never happened. It's like the genocide from the shots going on right now never happened. We can't get anything passed. New Hampshire was the only state to materially give us some substance. And even then, it's only the House so far. We're going to have Representative Melissa Blasek on in a couple moments to discuss this. But the reality is, you look across the map, every other state, no matter how big the majority is, no matter how popular the issue is among the people, no matter how unpopular Joe Biden and the Democrats are in that state, they won't do anything about it. And the reason is it's not because Republicans are fearful, they're scared. They are on the other side. The illusion of a second party is all on the issues that don't matter or at the time they don't matter or in the way they don't matter. But on the issues that matter, at the time they matter and in the way they matter, Republicans are all on the other side. Okay, you have in Indiana. This is in Indiana. Um, you have Honeycomb, what's his name? Governor Holcomb. He just vetoed the bill to bar men in female sports. Now, they should be able to override him easily because if it passed the legislature, they only need a simple majority to override, so they just pass it again in the state of Indiana. But this is what we have as Republican governors. They, we, we even have Republican governors that won't take the weak version. right? The strong version is transgenderism is illogical, immoral, and we're not dealing with it. That whole agenda. But no, no Republican left will even fight that way. It's all about saving female sports. It's not a de-civilization issue. It's not a morality issue. It's not a civilization disruptor. It's oh, we don't. It's, it's a fairness in female sports issue. That that that's the that's the kosher way of couching the issue. And even then, we have Republican governors that don't want to fight. You cannot go on any longer with this party if you are still thinking along these lines of oh my gosh, I just don't want Democrats to win in, in a general election. You're totally lost. You are you look at the last 20, 30 years. We continue to be worse off with Republicans. Now again, I'm not saying you hand it to Democrats. I'm saying if you run fresh faces as independents on medical freedom and new issues, and they don't have a paper trail of being like a conservative Republican somewhere, you actually could easily win 
if we put some effort behind it, you could you could downright win, not just take down the Republican Party, which, by the way, I have no problem in doing that. And I think it's the surgery that too many people have been scared of doing. Now, speaking of surgery that we have to do that's also painful, we have to disentangle ourselves from the companies that offer you know the vital goods and services we rely upon that hate us. Well, thankfully, when it comes to one vital service, wireless service, we already have one. Patriot Mobile is the America's only Christian conservative cell phone provider. They offer broad nationwide coverage. Um, they have a great, terrific, American-based customer support team. Um, it's awesome being on the phone with an American rather than someone in India. Uh, they share your values. They support organizations that fight for our causes. If you go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT, you could get free activation with offer code CR veterans and first responders save even more. So make that switch today. Stop using T-Mobile, which is monitoring your texts now and censoring them. Support a company that loves America, loves you, and shares your values. It's patriotmobile.com slash CR, patriotmobile.com slash CR, or call 972-PATRIOT. You know, so we're, we're dealing with what's going on in the military. Okay, the, the, this this military vaccine injury we're going to talk about more later in the week. To me, the two biggest issues that I think we need to focus on are the excess deaths and injuries in the military because that's going to bring this all out. Younger people, younger people, you can't miss it. And then the growing COVID wave. COVID, what? I thought we were done with it. No, we will never be done with it. Because of the of the shots, it creates viral immune escape and destroys your immune system. So it is going to keep going and going and going. Gert Vandenbosch has another podcast out with Peter McCullough saying, look, I told you so. Look at Europe. Europe's on fire now. That's the irony. It's funny. You, you listen to the average drone. You know, we talked about that poll yesterday. The same people who bought into COVID fascism are the ones who buy into Ukraine. And ironically, the people who cared most about COVID now don't even know what's going on. But it is. I'm wondering if once the numbers get too high for them to ignore, if they'll, if, if you're able to have two different panic porns at once. Or does it have to be one at a time? Well, we'll, we'll know that soon. Um... But I wanted to read to you just from an affidavit, Teresa Long, Lieutenant Colonel Dr. Teresa Long, she's an Army flight surgeon, and she's the one that's blown the whistle on all this stuff going on in the military. She, she wrote a sworn statement to Senator Johnson, and I got a copy of it. I want to read some of it to you. On or about November 2nd, 2021, I testified for Senator Ron Johnson in Washington, D.C. regarding my safety concerns and my observations of COVID-19 vaccine side effects. I also testified regarding the retaliatory actions taken against me for reporting my safety concerns regarding the vaccine and the increased risk it posed to our pilots and aviation safety. I testified that I had to ground um, three of five pilots in one morning for vaccine injuries. Two were pericarditis um, with concerns of myocarditis and one with brain fog after coming forward as a whistleblower under the Military Whistleblower Protection Act. Title 10 USC 1034, my medical exemption given by Medical Director of Defense Health Agency Immunization and Healthcare Division was revoked and placed and replaced with a temporary 
administrative exemption set to expire March 13th. Okay, that was a few days ago. Upon return to my unit, I again attempted to discuss my concerns with the traddock surgeon, Colonel Myring. He stated that he was told that the two individuals I spoke of having pericarditis did not, in fact, have pericarditis, or they had it resolved. One pilot was evaluated by another flight surgeon, told he did not have pericarditis, advised not to continue with treatment, and was returned to flight status. The other pilot I treated aggressively for pericarditis and had a resolution of EKG changes several weeks later when he saw the cardiologist. Despite ordering a cardiac MRI on the day I saw the pilot, it was never performed. Yet the pilot did undergo an um, EKG and stress tests, all of which were all normal, and the cardiologist recommended that the pilot return to duty without restrictions. Thereafter, I insisted that the cardiologist complete the cardiac MRI as previously requested, and after five months of delay, the MRI results showed an ongoing myocarditis with significant damage to the heart. I've mentioned that before, that a lot of times the stress test and EKG won't pick it up um, because it won't see the scarring on the on the muscle tissue but the cardiac MRI will but they're expensive and they don't they don't want to order them in other words the damage from the shots is perhaps only apparent with a cardiac MRI which is a relatively simply screening test that has yet to be ordered for any or all pilots who receive the inoculations this necessarily means that there is a population of pilots flying equipment armed with munitions who may not know they have severe heart problems and seemingly the Army does not care to know that fact. Um, and she talks about all the different efforts that she's been stymied and they don't care, see no evil, hear no evil. They have no answers to the VAERS data. Again, showing more deaths in the military from the shot than um, COVID deaths. And, and remember, COVID deaths are overinflated. Uh, VAERS reports are under uh, estimated, especially underreported, especially in the military, where there's a huge stigma against doctors reporting it. Um, and 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 um, by the way, Teresa Long herself says that you know she has filled out VAERS, but many times she didn't. She just didn't have the time. It takes two hours. This is a whole nother business. It you have to like quickly get it in each frame, and if you don't, it will crash on you, and you have to start over again. It could take two hours easily. Again, I know tons of people injured, injured from the shot. I don't know a single one that has had a virus in, uh, entry, including my own sister. You know, she had a swollen lymph nodes for four months. You know, maybe I should push it. None of us ever did it. So to have this many VARES entries that actually made it is astounding. And never let anyone erase your memory. The recent JAMA study on myocarditis published by CDC researchers, admitted and conceded, conceded that the myocarditis numbers in VAERS are likely underreported, not overreported. Um, and she goes through all the different injuries reported to VAERS. And no one has, no one has a problem. Known as a problem. Then she testifies in my own experience and pursuant to my role as the first aviation brigade surgeon responsible for the oversight of 4,000 pilots, aircrew, and other soldiers. I've personally seen maladies, including but not limited to stroke, infarct of the thalamus, right? That's like a, another type of aneurysm, 
several cases of testicular cancer, esophageal cancer, unprovoked thromboembolism of the splenic vein and portal vein of a 24-year-old, brain fog, debilitating migraines, pericarditis, myocarditis, um, angina, um, spinal tumor. What else we have here? Breast, renal, and um, mediastinal and spinal tumors, so all sorts of cancers. And by the way, angina is a, is a type of severe chest pain that could spread across your entire upper body, neck, and everything um, caused by inadequate blood supply to the heart. You wonder if that's a lot of these cases with these sports players and now Rafa Nadal saying that they, it feels like they have needles uh, when they try to breathe. She talks about thyroid dysfunction, numerous cases of chest pain in 20 and 30-year-olds, intermittent and persistent face, facial swellings, migraines, unexplained hypertensive crises, tinnitus, irregular heartbeats, and gastrointestinal bleeding. To emphasize the point, these patients are a group of people with some of the highest standards for health and fitness within the U.S. military and among the world's militaries. So it's not... Remember, Teresa Long is not just a military doctor. She's a flight surgeon. So primarily deals with aviators. right? They have to be in top condition. This is not normal. And again, all of these maladies are straight up in the FOIA Pfizer document um, from February. They knew about this as of February 2021. They knew about this. Every one of these maladies is in there. It's not coming from left field. And yet we have nobody... Nobody standing for us. So is there some good news? Is there some sort of paradigm we could replicate? Well, our guest segment is sponsored by ZStack very appropriately. Um, ZStack was formulated by Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. Those of you who have compromised immune systems, you got the shots, or even if you didn't and you want to make sure the next bioweapon or the next mutated variant of this uh juiced up artificial virus um, doesn't attack you, I'd recommend you go to zstacklife.com um, slash Daniel and enter promo code Daniel to get a discount on your ZStack. It's got the right dose of zinc, kirsten, vitamin C, vitamin D, all formulated by Dr. Zlanko here in the USA. Now more than ever is the time to take control of your health and the health of your family. That's zstacklife.com slash Daniel, promo code Daniel. So as I mentioned before, today is the anniversary of the Stamp Act. And what that one act did was catalyze a unified response from, you guessed it, state legislatures. We Believe it or not, we had them at the time in 1765, and they created the Committees of Correspondence. And it's through that that they actually uh, eventually morphed in to this Continental Congress and plowed through the revolution catalyze the creation of a new nation. Here we are with two years worth of, when you talk about give me liberty or give me death, I mean, it's literally they're giving us tyranny and death at the same time. The fight for our bodies, our properties, our breathing airways, everything, things that we could never have imagined occurred it started really at the tail end of the 2020 session. They did nothing. They didn't go into special session. Okay, we had to wait till 2021. Did nothing. Okay, well, by 2022, they certainly realized it. And as we mentioned, 
I can't find any state where they really focused on this issue and gave it its due course, even ensured that we don't have this or even dealt with the current issues, much less preclude us from ever doing this again. Where do we do that? So we have the Florida governor, but even there, the legislature is awful. Tennessee did a couple good things. Montana did a couple things early, but then never followed up on it. And that's pretty much it. You know, my constitutional amendment to bodily autonomy, I can't get it anywhere. My friend who introduced it in Kentucky, it's over with. It's done. She passed legislation, at least, out of the House after a big fight against mandates, vaccine mandates. It's not going anywhere in the Senate. Three to one majority is there. And this is what I keep telling you. If we keep doing the same things with super majorities, super majority trifectas, and we get the same results, what are we doing? And it's certainly not going to change with a narrow rhino majority with Biden still in power in Washington come November or whatever, next January. But there is one bizarre bright spot that we've seen that I wouldn't expect it. It's a trifecta state, but it's kind of more of a purple state. It swings back and forth, and that's New Hampshire. There's no supermajority, a plain majority there. But this is the state where not only did they protect doctors who want to prescribe ivermectin, but made it partially over-the-counter through a standing order, and that passed the House last week. And I'm thinking, wow, we can't even get two steps in that direction in states with much larger Republican supermajorities. And then one after another, they passed you know, about a dozen good medical freedom bills all in one week. And there's a big focus on that issue that we don't have in other states. So I figured I want to learn from what's going on, just like you have a doctor that's treating COVID and you're thinking like, well, what's he doing that we're not doing? Let's learn from it. Well, if we have legislatures that are doing the right thing and we have a a liberty movement that somehow has shown it can instill fear in the hearts of Republicans and demand change and succeed to a degree, well, could we replicate that elsewhere? With us today is Representative Melissa Blasick from Merrimack, New Hampshire, um, really embodies this medical freedom movement that we've talked about. We had a candidate on for Dallas County judge that was kind of similar, a young mother. She's a music teacher, wasn't really involved in politics much until now. When COVID fascism began, she co-founded Reopen New Hampshire that's now called Rebuild New Hampshire a terrific, effective grassroots organization that I've been trying to create in other states. And then she actually decided to run herself solely, exclusively, or primarily on this issue. She promised medical freedom, promised to make it the top priority, and it looks like has delivered on all of her promises. Melissa, thank you so much for joining today. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Well, now you don't have to listen to the show later. I know you're an avid fan of the show. (laughs) So here you could kill two birds with one stone, uh, serve up the content uh, without actually having to listen to it later. Let's start with the ivermectin bill. Um, This is a big deal, HB 1022. Uh, I've been trying to even get a don't tease me, bro, bill. Just simply don't punish doctors for prescribing a safe, 
Nobel Prize winning, FDA approved drug, which they could do anytime and do in every other sphere of medicine. We can't even get that bill passed in almost every state. Yet you guys were able to take it a step further and get passed out of the house a bill to make it available in pharmacies through standing order. How in the world did you achieve that? So actually, we have a pair of bills um, on COVID treatment. And yeah, the first one is what you were describing, just the don't tase me um, bill. We actually passed that on consent, meaning it was unanimous through the House several weeks ago, um, and meaning all Democrats agreed to it as well, which is interesting. Um, and actually, there were Democrats in committee who, who really argued for it, which is great. You know, and, and then, yes, we have the 1022, which makes it over-the-counter via a standing order. Um, so essentially what that means is that any doctor can call up a pharmacy and put in a standing order, and then any person can just walk in and buy it over-the-counter. Um, it is how birth control is over-the-counter in several states. We actually modeled it after that type of legislation. Um, and as, as far as I know, we're the only state in the country who's done anything like that. So New Hampshire's a real funny state. Um, we're, we're a bunch of weirdos, and I love it. Um, but uh, we have a really strong foundation of, well, we are the live free or die state. Generally speaking, people on both sides of the aisle do not like government intervention. And um, so even our, our Democrats sometimes lean in that, that general direction. And although we are a purple state, leaning a little bit more libertarian, even on both sides of the aisle, has been helpful to us um, in the long run. And we are also, I think we have like the most amount of activists per capita or something like that. And we are really good at grassroots movements. Now, I'm going to give a little bit of credit to the Free State Project. Um, if, if people aren't aware what the Free State Project is, it's, it's moving liberty-minded people to New Hampshire. And while they don't take policy positions, what that has done is attracted people who are searching for liberty and who are willing to fight, most importantly, who are willing to fight for liberty. And over the years, I, this didn't happen overnight. And while I'm very proud that Rebuild New Hampshire has been a huge part of it and um, is uh, very much like the Liberty Strike Force teams that you're, you're trying to put together in different states, um, this, what happened last week was sort of um, a combination of a lot of factors that have gone on for a lot of years. Um, we have the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance, which is a group that has been around for a long time, and they rate bills based on their anti or pro-liberty properties, and they um, support candidates for office, and they um, rate uh, the candidates, and they rate the legislators. And that has really pushed more pro-liberty type Republicans in to the House especially. Still working on the Senate, but um, we, so we got a lot into the House this past year because of groups like that, groups like the um, House Republican Alliance that does the same thing, rates bills based off of um, platform issues and constitutional issues. And then rebuild, what we've done is we've put the activists in front of the politicians over and over and over again for the last you know, two years, which is really what was necessary. It took two years to make it happen. Um, but uh, that's what we've done. We've organized them, taught them how to be activists. These are just regular people who, again, are more liberty-leaning because that tends to be what's here. But we put them in front of the politicians over and over and over again, and they listened.
They listened. I mean, every other state I talked to, leadership is so against anything that that has to do with medical freedom. They want to be done with this issue. They don't want to talk about it, even though they never started with it. They've never done anything. Even in Florida, where you have a governor that is internationally known as standing up to this, the legislature really didn't have much of an appetite for it. Whereas in New Hampshire, it's the opposite. You have a governor that's kind of more... Uh, a prototypical Republican, not like a Ron DeSantis right. Republican. Um, he was actually very upset with the legislature uh, meddling in his uh, executive authority that he feel, felt he had. Um, but yet you were able to get this done without the governor. And it wasn't just the ivermectin bill. You banned um, localities from implementing mask mandates. You repealed the health commissioner's authority to require um, to add a vaccine to the school schedule of required shots, which is a long-term looming problem, especially with more of these mRNAs coming right. out. Um, you had a lot, you know, requiring hospitals to allow patients visitors this is a big issue. It should be a no-brainer, but we really haven't passed it in too many states. It's like you're one of the few legislators I could call up and be like, hey, I think this is a good idea. And I see a couple of weeks later and it gets done. Whereas everywhere else, no matter how compelling, no matter how much support it has, no matter how unpopular the Democrats are in that state, nothing comes of it. Um, my suspicion, I want you to go into this, you know, at length. My suspicion is a lot of this has to do with your leadership, that typically leadership, uh, Republican leadership is indistinguishable from Democrats. And you have the grassroots that to the extent that they could secure any victory, they really make leadership fear them, um, which is pretty rare. But in your case, it seems like the way you're able to get things done in the House, and especially to pass the ivermectin bill, at least the first one on unanimous consent, is because leadership is downright on the same side as us. How in the world does that happen? So, um, to be clear, all of these bills have just passed the House. They have not gone the distance yet. We're going to go to the Senate, but I, I'm, I'm feeling good things from the Senate. Um, so that's, that's great. Um, and then, you know, it'll be on to the governor. Um, well, <clears throat> again, a lot of this is grassroots that have gone on for a very long time, way pre-COVID, um, our majority leader is absolutely like, you know, one of us. Um, and that wouldn't have been possible if we hadn't been working to get certain types of Republicans in the House all of this time. And I do credit a lot of these groups like the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance and the House Republican Alliance to that, that made that possible all of these years, encouraging our type of Republican to run, helping them run, you know, and, and then some of this is because of how New Hampshire is set up. Now, we are a very unique state in many ways. So we're a very small state. We're 1.3 million people. We have 400 representatives. <laughs> so what that means is that we are the most representative uh, body in the uh, English-speaking world. And it also means that somebody like me can just decide one day, I don't like what's happening and I can run for office and I can raise $5,000 and spend nothing more than that $5,000 of individual donations and win. How Special many people do you represent? Money, I represent 3,500 people. 3,500 people. So because anyone who knows anything about political science, if you look from state house to state senate to congress to senate, you know, statewide, elected official, the lower you get, 
the more like so let's say we'll typically have 10 good guys in a house chamber uh three good guys in a senate chamber no good guys in the federal chamber you know and it, it goes up because the bigger the area is yeah. the more money you need and the bigger jerk That's you correct. need to be to get elected because you have to basically be one of those. So you're saying you're able, rather than having your voice diluted and kind of being a circus with 400 people in, in a tiny state, you're saying it, it was able to allow committed activists to get normal people like yourself, a young mother, you teach music, um, and you said, hey, you know, like, this is crazy, this COVID fascism, I need to run on this issue. We need mm -hmm. to get rid of this. We need a voice. And you had several other people doing that. You're saying yeah. a lot of it is the structure of the of the house. A lot of it is the structure. Um, it, you have to think it's dollars per vote. So if you don't represent as many people, you don't need as many dollars. I don't need special interest money to run. Um, some of our historic issues in the Senate have been because there's only 24 of them. They need special interest money to run a campaign. Um, so that has been some of our issues. We're, we're working on getting some more um, Liberty people in there next time. Um, Michael Yakubovich, but I'm going to plug him real quick. He's running and he's one of us. Um, so, uh, but he needs money because lobbyists won't give him money probably because he's one of us. Um, so yeah, no, that's part of what makes New Hampshire unique is our structure, right? But um, that, that is helpful because you got in there, right? So some of these people like us, they get in there at this low benchmark in the House. They do work their way up into the Senate and higher and, um, because then they already have a name, right? So uh, that is part of our success, I would absolutely say, is our structure but also the activism and the amount of grassroots um, energy that there is, generally speaking, in New Hampshire and, you know, Rebuild, we've really worked on, you know, capitalizing on that, educating people on how they can become activists and do this sort of thing. Yeah, it's something I'm seeing missing in a state like Wyoming, some of those uh, prairie states, Rocky Mountain states. It just you don't have that culture there. There are wide swaths of land mm -hmm. um, with they, they rely on their redness. They're they're complacent. Yes. yes. And and sometimes it's better in a state where Democrats are also very competitive and you have to mm -hmm. fight for it. So it, the battle lines are kind of drawn, whereas, you know, those states, the Democrats run as Republicans. And, you know, it's it's kind of the same thing. They play up the pro-life, pro-gun issue, you know, that that game. Mm -hmm. And then it's hard to distinguish themselves. So, you know, my question is, um, where is the governor? So, again, you guys have done pretty remarkable things. We got a list of about a dozen different bills you had. Again, you have an opt, you know, you know, you have to opt into the vaccine registry. Um, judges, this is a huge issue. I'm dealing with a legal case on this now. Heartbreaking. Imagine a kid being forced to get a shot by one parent. The other parent doesn't want it. And, and the judge takes away custody. So you have a bill dealing with that. Um, I, I haven't seen that in other states, at least not past the chamber. Um, and you've dealt with health medical freedom in, in general. You have HB 1044, allowing the creation of new healthcare facilities that only take direct payment. So they, they're able to bypass all the you know cartel regulations and restrictions that we've seen that were so uh, you know instrumental in blocking proper treatment for COVID and it reverberates in other areas of healthcare as well. So, you know, where do you see this headed in the Senate, the governor? It's kind of weird. The governor has been very quiet. 
I haven't heard anything from him. Yeah, he's been very quiet. He has not commented on any of the bills through the House, um, as far as I know, at all. Um, now, well, let's, let's, let's backtrack a little bit last year. So it, New Hampshire operates on, the, on a biennium. Um, all offices um, ha- are only two-year terms, including the governor. Um, so last year was year one of the biennium. And my mission year one was to end the state of emergency. That's really, that was my initial impetus for running for office was ending the state of emergency and reforming the state of emergency laws so that this could never happen again. Um, It took a lot of political muscle to make that happen. I'm not going to lie last year, Um, but we were new and people didn't know what was really what the deal was, I guess you could say. And this is the first time we were really getting the activists out there and working. And so the Freedom Caucus um, actually did exist in previous years, uh, but we reformed the Freedom Caucus around the issue of state of emergency reform. Mm. And year one is budget year. And frankly, that was our only political tool. So uh, we simply refused to vote for the budget unless we got state of emergency reform in the budget. And so it passed the House with state of emergency reform in the budget, as well as a bill that um, reversed and forgave all fines for violating COVID restrictions. Um, quite a few states put that in, but we were the only ones actually that went the distance with it. And when that passed the House, all enforcement of the state of emergency ended. So. All right, so it gets through the House, goes to the Senate. They tried to strip it out, um, and, uh, well, we went to committee of conference. It was this whole long nightmare of a situation. But ultimately, at the end of the day, our governor doesn't have the ability to line item veto any bill. It's more part of the reason yep. why he's actually one of the weakest governors in the entire country. And so he was forced to sign a budget that had state of emergency reform in it. And when the enforcement of the state of emergency kind of ended, he also just ended the state of emergency. So it took a lot of political muscle last year to make that happen. However, I think it set up a really nice foundation for this year with the medical freedom issue. Number one, the people, the politicians heard from the people a lot last year, and then they continued to all summer when all the vaccine mandates are coming down and all of that sort of thing. And I have felt a massive shift politically. Um, they're really hyper aware that this is an election year and that their base really, really wants medical freedom. So I, I, th- there was just a massive shift. We haven't really had to fight in the way that we did last year to make this happen this year. And I feel real positive about the Senate as well. I have felt a shift out of them, too. They fought us a little bit more in the state of emergency reform, but I think it's because they felt that they had to protect the governor. They felt that the state of emergency form, reform was some type of direct attack on the governor, yeah. and they wanted to protect him. This isn't like that. Right, because our governor actually never really implemented much of anything as far as you know, uh, you know mandates or vaccine mandates or anything like that. Um, so I think they don't feel that kind of protectiveness, and they are thinking, hmm, this is a wildly popular issue with my base. So I'm feeling good about where it's headed now. The governor is probably my guess, 
biding his time to see how this pans out before he, um, you know, makes any kind of makes. statement on it, which is good because last year he was laughing at us when, you know, we wanted to have state of emergency reform. There, and now he knows it's, it's popular. And I think this is the thing. There's staying power to the movement, too. And that's what I'm impressed yeah. by that. You know, you didn't achieve all your objectives in one year, but you came back for more. And unlike in other states where even the conservatives are like, oh, well, it's over with. I'm like, well, wait a minute. It's mm-hmm. not over with. There's still a lot of problems. And then you want to immunize yourself to make sure mm-hmm. this is permanently um, taken off the books as an option for governors to choose, but they're already moved on. So you made sure to, you know, because you have the problem when it's popular, then you can't do anything. And then when it's unpopular, well, the governor rescinds it, so they move on from it. So you right. have this sweet spot. and that spot. is what I'm trying to tell them all the time. I get up there and I'll say, listen, guys, we Republicans need to own the COVID issue. We need to put the nail in the coffin of the failed COVID policies that were largely implemented and certainly championed by the left. And um, we need to own this issue. Now, so you have people like me in in the House, that's part of it, me saying that to them all the time. (laughs) Hopefully that's making a difference. And then, listen, people get upset with me, but I roll called every single one of these bills because they need to be accountable. Yes. If they don't pass, if they don't vote for them, the people need to know. Yes, and and, and I think the way you got it is, like you said, the the culture, I've heard of of it even since I was a kid. It was decades in the making, creating this culture of political activism – among liberty-minded people, you know, you know, I'm I'm more socially conservative, but on these issues, there's there's no daylight between any of of these guys. Anyone for liberty should agree to this. So this is the opportunity for everyone to stand on this, everyone to hyper focus. So you created that climate. So, um, you know, in other words, in other states, it's you vote Republican and then you wake up two two years later, and it's like no, every day of that legislative session, you're more impactful. As, as a voter in that state by simply contacting your legislature, pressuring them much more so than even voting. So that that's something I've been trying to create in other states. But again, I have to get back to this point that you cannot you cannot steer a ship to the right direction if the captain of that ship who has his hands on the steering wheel wanted to steer it to the opposite direction. And I don't know of another state where I could say leadership is on our side. I, I literally don't. Some are worse than others. But, you know, I know uh, your majority leader, again, um, he's on the board of a big pro-liberty organization that was fighting COVID fascism. Yeah. We don't have that precedent in a single other state. Um, how yeah, Is it just a matter um, of critical mass of getting enough rank-and-file members that could elect someone like that as leader? So you have to remember that... Um, the speaker is, is elected position, right? Um, so yeah, this took years in the making, but um, Liberty Republicans are the majority of the majority. So we chose our speaker for a reason. We chose our majority leader for a reason um, because we are the majority of the majority. Um, like the Freedom Caucus is the largest caucus in the House. Uh, so, um, which isn't usually the case in any of these, you know, 
well, certainly not the case in D.C., for instance. Um, and uh, that's how, yeah, I you know, uh, Representative Jason Osborne is our majority leader, and he um, completely agrees with us on, you know, these issues. And uh, I can tell you that the Speaker of the House um, has broken the tie uh, vote on a couple of these bills in our favor. Wow. So you have an exact even vote, even in a body that big. And you see how impactful um, just a handful of of voters could be, 3,500 people. Um, Do do you know the kind of the raw totals, the, the number of votes you got in your election? Um, I got ooh, somewhere between seven and 8,000 votes. Seven, um, 8,000 votes. I mean, that's, that's what it is. I mean, that's what a representative Republic is. And I think yes. it certainly does show. All right. So then the question is, so this is the good news, but what's depressing to me is I don't think we have a precedent of such energy in a single small concentrated state anywhere in the country and still, there's a lot of work to be done. I mean, you've gotten the House pretty good. You need a little bit more progress in the Senate. But why is it that, I, I, to my knowledge, you haven't had a single decent statewide elected official in memory? Because um, Liberty people understand, like the Liberty activists understand that D.C. is lost. It is fundamentally broken. We are never going to be able to fix it. And so we focus all of our energy on the state we want to make New Hampshire as free as possible. And that is the focus. We, we just give it, frankly. But I mean, but I mean the governor. I'm not just talking about federal. I mean, oh, statewide. Oh, the governor. Um, okay. Yeah, no, well, right. So, I mean, I, I'm not totally sure going back, but Sununu, um, Governor Sununu is a legacy name in New Hampshire. Um, frankly, he is such a popular name that all he has to do is put his name on the ballot. He doesn't, like have to do that much campaigning because he has that kind of name recognition and that kind of, you know, our war chest, right? Um, Yeah, we need to work on governor. Uh, We absolutely do. I see people coming down the pipeline uh, when Sununu is done running um, that will, that could win, that are our kind of people. But, you know, it takes a while to work your way up, right? We've been doing this for a long time. So the House is really great. We're working on the Senate, and then we're going to work on the governor. And, and that's where we kind of are on that. But, you know, I do want to um, kind of go through what it is that, that people could do with these Liberty for, Strike Force teams to accomplish, you know, kind of what we've been doing with Rebuild New Hampshire. Um, this is you have to you have to list build. You know, New, Rebuild New Hampshire has, we're in a state of 1.3 million. I think our, our, our list is, you know, one of the bigger conservative organization lists in, in the state, if not, you know, the biggest. And uh, so you have to list build. You have to build your army. And then you have to tell them they want, they want to do. People are so angry about the COVID issue. They want to do something, but they're not sure how. You have to educate them on how the bill-making process in your state works step by step, every step of the way. You have to read those calendars every single week to know exactly what's happening so that you can tell, direct people, here, this hearing is happening on this day. Yes. You need to go there. You need to send this email to this person. Oh, and then, and again, we're all volunteers, and I get it, and there's not a lot of time in the day. You have to look at all those roll call votes. Well, so-and-so didn't vote right. You need to tell your list that because they need phone calls. So phone calls are really Listen, politicians are not motivated by money, no matter what anybody tells you. 
They, that's actually not their motivating factor, okay? Now, sometimes money is tied into their motivating factor, but it's not their primary motivating factor. Their primary motivating factor is power and yes. reelection. Okay, so you have to make those phone calls. They feel way more compelled to vote your way if you call them versus email them. But emails help too. When somebody, when I open my email and I have 500 emails from somebody about one bill, well, I feel a lot of pressure to vote that way. Um, and going to those hearings, getting a, a couple hundred people to show up for one bill makes a massive difference. Uh, the, the school mask bill uh, we had in the middle of a huge snowstorm, and um, only people who went in support of that, uh, the only people who showed up were in support of the bill to prohibit mask mandates in schools. Nobody showed up in opposition in the middle of that snowstorm. But, man, people put the chains on their tires, and they were there to go talk about how their kid tried to commit suicide because they're so depressed over the masks. That's what you need to, to move the needle. And, and again, I think this issue more than ever, and we've talked about this before, it has the ability to mobilize a new cohort of people that maybe yes. they didn't have conservative or liberty written all over them their whole life. But, right. you know, everyone is now because they were mugged by reality and their lives were affected. All these parents that had to deal with the insanity, the child abuse right. um, and the mandates and everything. I, listen, I was asleep at the wheel. Right. I mean, I've, I've, I've voted Republican my whole life, but I, I was asleep at the wheel and most conservatives were. And then this woke us up. Now, here's going to be the real trick. Can we keep them woken up so they don't go back to sleep? So that's now my that that's my final question for you. Uh, we're we're yeah. almost out of time here. And I want to I want to take this to to the future because we want to make sure people have an option of where to go. Um when this all <laughs> falls apart and people talk about Florida, but we need a cold weather uh, alternative for those that don't like the heat of Florida um, and they don't mind the snow. So, you know, you have a, you have a trifecta, a governor that's kind of, you know, a legacy Republican. Mm -hmm. um, you head into next year, the end of this year. And typically New Hampshire is one of those states that when you have an unpopular Democrat in the White House will swing very hard against the Democrats yeah. in, a, in a midterm year. So you do have a good chance of picking up super majorities. What's, what's on your wish list? What do you think you could accomplish? And do you think you could try to make New Hampshire that full-blown sanctuary where you're going to be like, hey, you know, the lawless stuff, I don't care about the federal funding. I don't care what phony statute you point to me when you're violating the statute yourself this is unconstitutional stuff just doesn't happen here in the granite state yeah um our focus going into the next election cycle um governor Stunu is running again there is nobody um you know who ha has his war chest, frankly, or name recognition, who is primarying him. Um, so I, I, I expect him to win. Um, but my focus is on the legislature and not the executive branch. I expect that um, we, we legitimately could, if we play our cards right, get a super majority. And then we don't need to worry about the executive branch as much. Oh. And so I think that that is the goal. Um, that should be the goal moving forward. And, and again, getting more of our you know, type of Republican in, in the Senate. Um, we, we have some good people running this time, which is going to be great. And um, yeah, hopefully we can, we can make something like that happen. And 
Make ourselves a safe haven. Yeah, if anybody, we, we are the cold weather alternative to Florida. And, okay, I'm going to make my my case for my state here. We're better than Florida because Florida has DeSantis, and that is it. The, and, frankly, they didn't do it in the right way. I, I appreciate DeSantis going in and being like, all right, we're just going to make freedom happen no matter what. But he didn't really do it in the, quote, right way. He did it through executive authority, which I think he probably took too much executive authority. We've done it in the right way with your elected representatives doing their job and making the laws. And um, I think we, we, we absolutely do have the, uh, the chance here to make ourselves a safe haven. I've been saying we're an island in the sea of hell up here in, in New England <laughs> or in the sure. entire Northeast the entire time of COVID. I didn't leave the state until last summer. I thought I was going to fall off the edge of the earth. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, I think we have, we have a chance to get a supermajority in, in the, cause yes, you're right. We do tend to swing really hard to one side, uh, when there's such an unpopular person in the white house. So there, there's the opportunity. So maybe that's where we put our focus. I know I've been getting a lot of emails from people noting that you're missing the gem, right? You know, right under mm-hmm. your nose. Um, yep. certainly a lot of, good, a lot of good insight. And, and Melissa, I definitely appreciate you being, um, you know, a mentor to some people. I've sent your way some freshman uh, legislators to see how you could be impactful. I mean, you're a freshman. You have several others that are similar young mothers that just ran, and and you got good stuff passed. And this is something that could happen. But again, it's kind of like building a campfire. You got to do it the right way. You can't just hope to take some big logs and dump some lighter fluid on, and somehow that's going to be sustainable. Um, it, it takes a while, and I think this is what's lacking in the so-called conservative movement, and their focus is always on the big items that's in front of them that they can't affect, and if it's Ukraine, it's Ukraine now, and they're never focused on where the issue that matters, when it matters, and in the way it matters. I think you guys have fulfilled that. Um, we wish you well, and we hope to replicate this elsewhere. Please keep up us updated, and good luck, Melissa, all right? Of course. Thank you. So again, that was Representative Melissa Blasek. Uh, she is a state rep from New Hampshire. Wasn't that fascinating? Just from a political science standpoint, that was really fascinating, understanding uh, the quirkiness of New Hampshire and how it uh, really benefits us, the size of the chamber, the staying power of a liberty movement, the focus of the activists. And, and yes, you can't get around leadership. This is what I keep telling you. If the leadership of the party agrees with the Democrats, I don't know what you do about that. And she's right about Florida in the sense that you take DeSantis out of the equation, the Republican Party of Florida is just as bad as it is in every other state. There's there's really no difference. So this is a small state. You don't have large urban areas. Pretty easy to make an island. Is this where we all go? So this is something to watch, but I mean, they they passed. I have a list of, you know, there there are like a dozen bills they passed in one week, all geared towards medical freedom. Um, you know, obviously they ended all mask mandates, vaccine mandates, the vaccine registry, data collection, requiring visitors in hospitals, and and then yeah, I mean, the ivermectin bill is unbelievable. And she does think it's going to pass the Senate. So this is our job. But the point is that these talk show hosts are leading everyone astray. They've gotten people satiated on on pure 
vanity for decades. We could have been doing this in every state for so long, but we weren't. And we're stuck with the Republicans that are no different than Democrats. So there, maybe there is a strategy. There is what to work with in primaries and gradually building. In other states, we'll be dead by then. And I do think we have to go the independent route in most other states at this point. Again, you have to see the you have to have the right candidate, the right office, you see what it matters. But more importantly, if you gather together these groups, and I'm still struggling to see the best way to create these groups, and you publish, you have an email list, and you publish ahead of time. These are the bills that's coming down. Here are the good ones that are being blocked. Here are the bad ones you need to oppose. Here's the hearing time. You could be so much more impactful than being one of a million votes in a given jurisdiction. Because then you just have a few dozen people totally owning that space of where the results of the election are actually actualized in terms of policy. That's where it matters. So we're going to keep doing these strategy updates. And look, if you're a a state legislator, we have a lot of them listening throughout the country. Uh, Let me know if you want to get in touch with Melissa um, get some legislative ideas, some strategy ideas, what worked there, because she's a freshman. Imagine being a freshman in a 400-member body, and she got a lot of her medical freedom bills passed. You know, I'd call her up with an idea, and the next minute I know, it's like, done. Like, we need to make ivermectin over the counter. And really, the whole ivermectin over the counter thing was just a way of moving the Overton window over so that at least we get a bill just preventing the state boards and the pharmacies from going after them so that at least they could prescribe it. I didn't actually think we'd get that much past it, but so far it has passed the House, and you know, Dr. Paul Merrick gave great testimony there, I think really influenced a lot of people. So there's no reason we can't get this done. And if it doesn't work in year one, you come back year two. But the point is, it's a long-term issue. We have to develop goals. We cannot satiate ourselves with social media posting from day to day and just reacting to every last latest hotness from day to day. But that's what has become of the conservative movement. And that's why it is completely irreparable it will never serve our needs, and we need to look to a new movement. And I think you know what they've done in New Hampshire is certainly uh, very laudable and worthy of our focus and consideration. You know, kudos to them. Whenever I see people being more successful than I am, I'm like, hey, I want to know what they're doing. I don't want to be stuck in my ways. I want, I want, I want to put points on the board. Live free or die. On this anniversary of the Stamp Act, perhaps we do have one state where we have people, a critical mass of people, who still embody Patrick Henry's spirit. It's our job to grow that. And we're going to continue doing that throughout the week. We're going to have other guests on. Again, we're going to flip back and forth between the big issues, what we can do about it. Again, the power is localism, a new movement, a new focus, new messaging, maybe even new ballot, um, you know, ballot strategies focused at a local level it's not a silver bullet there is no silver bullet but that's all we can do for now and that's all god wants from us 
May he bless our efforts. And the results are all for him. And may that same God bless you guys for listening to this show. Please send it and spread it to everyone you know. Let's spread that liberty, proclaim liberty throughout all the land. Till tomorrow, we'll be back same time, same place.